Welcome to Made for Profit, a podcast where we talk business in the shop and help you monetize as a maker. Each week we cover business topics to help you grow your full-time business or your side hustle. We'll also bring you interviews from a variety of people winning in their space to share valuable business insights and life lessons. I'm Brad Rodriguez, a full-time content creator running FixThisBuildThat.com, and my co-host John Malecki runs a full-time furniture company and his content site, JohnMalecki.com. We've been growing our successful businesses online, and we want to bring you into the conversation and help you grow along with us. Welcome to episode 84. Now, today we have an interview with someone we've been hanging out on Saturdays with for over a decade. Kevin O'Connor has been the host of This Old House and Ask This Old House since 2003, and he has helped guide many aspiring DIYers and woodworkers, including myself, through home repairs, construction, and remodeling projects. With the help of his buddies, Norm, Tommy, Richard, and Roger, the trade experts on the show. We talk with Kevin about the trades gap, staying relevant with your audience, and how he and the show are using social media and YouTube to continue to get better. Graduating from Boston University with an MBA in 1999, Kevin's career path was much different before he became the host of this old house. And he dives into telling us about that story where he went from being a senior VP at the Bank of America to now hosting the 18-time Emmy Award-winning show. Kevin is also a published author, an amateur photographer, and the father of three. He's a busy man with tons of passion to share on social media and the trades, and we had an absolute blast having him on the show. And speaking of authors and books, this week's episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is my favorite way to consume knowledge while working and on the go. And I have to say, if you're not listening or consuming books and you want to grow your business, you are massively missing out. I highly recommend giving Audible a try. I just finished an amazing book that I recommend called Clockwork by Mike Michalowicz. You can start with that and we have a free offer for you from Made for Profit where you can download a free book and 30 days of Audible trial. You're going to go to audibletrial.com forward slash made for profit to get that free download. And once again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash made spelled out f-o-r profit yeah dude i love that book that was awesome i'm i'm digesting it and like i feel convicted i'm like i I I know i need to do the thing he says but i can't i can't get into it my favorite parts about audible um specifically with books that are different than podcasts is that the author himself is reading this book and you yes. can truly I love it feel when that happens. the passion coming through. Yeah. Um, and like Mike is a fantastic author. I've read the paperwork, uh, excuse me, the toilet paper entrepreneur that he's got the a pumpkin, pumpkin uh, plan. Pumpkin <clears throat> yeah. Plan, he's yeah. got a profit first bunch, a bunch of awesome yeah. um, small business entrepreneurial style books. And uh, I'm a huge fan. I've learned so much um, from just con- like audibly consuming this stuff and they have great uh, workbooks you can download to go with with some of the uh, some of the authors out there and whatnot. I just I don't I wouldn't be anywhere close to where I am today without Audible. So yeah, um, dude, I, I, I love agree. love I'm that we can offer. Yeah, I love that we can offer a free book to our listeners um, with that offer there. So thank you, Audible. Appreciate it. Absolutely. All right, but before we do get into it, we also want to thank our new members that joined the MFP Patron Tribe this week. Uh, we had Jess Crow, Jordan Leach, and Christy Steinman. Thank you so much, guys and girls, for joining. We uh, really appreciate that. If you do want to support the show and get some awesome rewards, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash made for profit. But without further ado, let's go check out our interview with Kevin O'Connor. All right, guys, we are here with actually uh, one of my longtime heroes who has guided all of us through several projects, and he's going to walk us through a lot of this. Kevin O'Connor from This Old House. Kevin, welcome to Made for Profit. Thank you very much, fellas. Uh, Good to be here, and I appreciate the invite. I'm looking forward to it. It's great, man. I I tell you what, I know, like, actually, it's in my bio, like, on my website, right, is is when I talk about, I get the question all the time, like, how did you start woodworking? And uh, I started with doing DIY and doing home repair, and when I got out of college, I graduated in 2000, I started really getting into norm of, you know, to New Yankee Workshop and this old house. And like, that would be like every Saturday, that's what I would do. And then, you know, you came on the scene, right? In like 2003 and it was like, yeah, I feel like I've grown up with you. I was like, 
Why? So really, you're the reason why I'm woodworking, Kevin. So thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, pa- I'll pass that on to Norm for you because I know he's really the reason. <laughs> but uh, thank you for that. We we hear it a lot. And uh, every time I hear it, I pass it on to the boys who started this thing 40 years ago. I'm the new guy. Uh, still the new guy for 25 years. Yes. Yeah. It, it's it's really been amazing. We'll, we'll get into the whole thing. But uh, about that. So if, if you guys are not familiar with, with Kevin and this old house and the whole crew, uh, then for one, you're, you're probably living under a rock. Uh, but why don't you just uh, give us a brief overview of, of, of this old house. I always want to say, ask this old house. Cause that was really my favorite. I love like the interaction between, you know, you and Norm and Tom and, and Rich and Roger and just seeing you guys, but, uh, you know, just give us a little bit of, of a background about, cause the show has been around for a very long time. And, uh, when you came on the scene and, and kind of what you guys do there. Sure. Um, The origin story is it was created back in 1978, aired in 1979 on the local PBS station, WGBH. It's got a good um, story in the sense that the gentleman who created it, his name is Russ Morash, is a producer at WGBH, local PBS. Um, We like to consider him the father of how-to television, uh, and I don't think it's an overstatement. He uh, started The French Chef with Julia Child. He went on to do This Old House, Ask This Old House, uh, The Victory Garden, um, a bunch more. And he was driven by his curiosity in things that he liked to do and also things that he realized that he couldn't do well. So his formula was, why don't we turn the microphone onto the professionals who actually do this? And I think people need to understand that back in 1978, 1979, it's a pretty revolutionary idea. We're talking about the relatively um, early days of television, things done in studios, um, professionals, and all that sort of thing. So to drag television cameras in a big old truck when everything was wired and tethered together to a job site and uh, stick a microphone on a Yankee carpenter named Norm Abram and have a guy, Bob Vila, walk around and talk about an old house was kind of revolutionary. It took off um, very quickly, um, immediately became one of the most watched shows on PBS and on television in general, albeit, you know, back then there was probably four stations <laughs> on the air, a little different than today, but still. Yes, they owned UHF, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and it's been going strong ever since. Uh, 16 years ago, the expansion for us was into Ask This Old House. So if you think of this old house as the big dream, the season-long renovation of an entire house, Ask This Old House is the same group of guys, um, but they're ringing doorbells um, and they're answering smaller, simpler questions for homeowners. How do you fix a leaky faucet? How do you change out a hot water heater? You know, those types of things. But it's all premised in the same place, which is, you know, experts who practice these trades professionally, dishing out advice to a a mass television audience. Um, I grew up, you know, like you, Brad, um, watching it when I was a kid. you know, in college, fighting my roommates for the remote so I can watch some Saturday This Old House while they were trying to watch some football. Sorry, Malecki. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that was that guy. And that led me to not into the trades. I ended up getting into finance and stuff like that. But it led me to being a weekend warrior. And so when we bought our first house, my wife and I, we specifically set out to buy a fixer-upper. I kind of wanted to do those things that I had seen them do on This Old House. We bought a two-family Perfect, you know, perfect in a sense that nothing worked. It was a disaster, but it had great bones and we started fixing it up. And remarkably, when we bumped into our very first or early problem, uh, there were several of them. We wrote a letter to this old house. The Ask This Old House show wasn't even on the air yet. So I guess we thought we were writing, I don't know who, the PBS station, the magazine (laughs) existed at that point. Long story short, that letter ended up into a television producer's hands who was filming the first season of Ask This Old House. Now they had a house with a young homeowner who was in need of help. And so they rang the doorbell, sent out Tom Silva, our general contractor, um, our wizard carpenter. And he and I and my wife worked together on a very short scene for Ask This Old House. you know, cracked a beer, took a picture of them on the front porch. I thought that was the coolest thing going. I went back to my day job at the bank and completely out of the blue, the phone rang a couple weeks later and they said, would you like to host this old house and ask this old house? So I did. Uh, that's 15 or 16 years in the making. Um, but as I say, the guys who started this back in 78, 79, Norm and Richard, who were there in the first season and first episodes, are still doing it. Tommy and Roger came a few years later. They're still doing it. Uh, so we still have the same team. 
Uh, and it's been made very clear to me that the only person they ever change on the cast is the host. <laughs> Every time I say something I shouldn't say, they remind me of that. But it's been a great ride, and I, I love it. Um, I'm psyched and proud to be a part of it, um, and now it's kind of my job to work with these guys just to keep it going for another 40 years. Yeah, just the the longevity. I mean, to have that show for 40 years and with with some of the original cast there. I mean, that is just absolutely amazing. And I know part of it, I, you know, I always wondered um, with it being on on PBS and public, right? So I, I, I'm sure that's probably part of it too. A huge part of it is that, you know, there's a lot more leeway being on the, the public access side and, and not being under a huge network, right? That, you know, there's what network shows have been around for 40, you're like Vanna White, you know, like Vanna White and Pat Sajak, right? Like, <laughs> Except I speak. <laughs> yes. She doesn't speak. That's true. But, uh, you know, that, that's, it's been so cool to see those guys and see that, that history there. And when you talked about Ask This Old House, I, I, it just hit me. Like, Ask This Old House was like the first YouTube. You know, it's those short segments, right? Instead of yeah. like the full thing, it's, it's like a little thing. Like, because so now, and I know you guys obviously have a YouTube channel as well, uh, is like having those segments on there to say, what are those little things? Because it is, it's amazing to watch a full house being renovated, but there's right. also a lot of people. And that was the thing that was so attractive to me as a new homeowner was like, I have a leaky faucet. Like how, how do I fix this? I, I and, and like back, even back in 2000, like, uh, you know, YouTube wasn't around, like there weren't a lot of great resources on the internet yet. And so it was watching that, you know, it was like DVRing it and, and watching how to do it. And I'm like rewinding and be like, okay, wait, Richard, wait, you, hold on. Wait, what was that? Like, did he take out the O-ring first or was that the same? Like, you know, watching it and being able to rewind it and just see those projects like that, that was really, you know, that's, that has to be the premise for the, for YouTube is like the how to, and I'm sure they saw, Oh, that that's, that's really something that can be successful and uh, sharing snippets of videos like that. Yeah, well, I think you're spot on in the uh, the uh, analysis that Assis Old House is that shorter, simpler, um, more accessible version of this old house. I feel a million comments thanks to the beauty of social media. Um, you know, and people are like, "Hey, you know, you just did this gazillion dollar renovation with this net zero house. When are you going to do something that you know regular people can afford that's more practical?" You know, and my answer is, Assis Old House. Like right. that's the point of ask this old house. One is the big dream. One is the very practical. How do you get through the, the little projects on the weekend? That is exactly what we set out to do with that. Um, and it's been extremely popular. Um, almost immediately became as uh, watched as this old house and remains, you know, sort of equally as popular. And it's a good compliment. The thing that we love about it, that I love about it, is it's the same crew of guys. You know, when you see Tom right. Silva orchestrating a million and a half dollar renovation over the course of 12 months um, and doing these remarkable things, you also have this amazing appreciation when he gets down on a floor and helps a homeowner replace one little dented patch of hardwood floor um, or a single cracked tile. Like that's pretty cool. And it's cool because obviously we think it's useful information, but it also, I think, reminds people of sort of the basic premise. The complexity of what we do with a home renovation, of what you know, good general contractors do with a home renovation, the complexity of that is nothing more than the accumulation of a lot of really simple steps, really small, well-executed, simple steps layered on top of each other that get you from the dilapidated home to the beautiful residence. Um, and seeing a guy like Silva get down on his knees, fix a single tile, reminds you that it all sort of starts there. Yeah. yeah, and I love that. That's what that's what drew me to this show because I'm a little younger and grew up in the generation of YouTube. And, and then, you know, I got into, um, you know, the maker community and creating things because my family comes from a blue collar background and I was always gigantic free labor. So, uh, you know, I, I was on the job site helping carry things and hold and move this and that and smashing hands with hammers and whatnot. But when I got older and wanted to learn more for myself, you know, as most of us do is dive on the internet and the consumable content uh, uh, of Ask This Old House 
is is what became you know very uh, prominent to myself where I could see exactly what you said the Tom building someone's garage workshop and helping them to learn you know how to use a drill and do a workbench and something that simple and then go and see the big you know beautiful home renovations and be like wow oh my that's the same dude like this guy's awesome like I love that I want to watch 16 more hours of this and, and you know forego the other things in my life so I love that concept of of in content creation in general of having that big dream and then bringing it down to like the practical and more consumable aspects. Um, and we get tons of questions from our audience on, you know, how to create content around what we're doing. You're like, Hey, I do something that's so big and over the top, you know, how can I make it? Uh, so I have a successful YouTube channel. And I think it's got to be focusing on exactly that. Like you can be a world renowned carpenter who can do things that nobody else can do, but you got to be able to take the big and the small and break it down to exactly like you said, with, the um, little aspects that are actually attainable by the normal person. Um, and that's something I struggle with. I was like, oh, no, I just want to build, you know, this, you know, ridiculously expensive river table. And then I'm not going to show anyone how to do it. I'm just going to expect them to watch me. And Brad's like, no, 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 no. Listen, <laughs> this is how content creation works. Like people want to see so they can try it on their own. I'm like, wait, scratch my head. So that's what I love about Ask This Old House, too, is that um, anytime I've ever looked to do anything around my own home, and I'm and I was actually just watching you and Tom build a shop cart literally yesterday. I was like, I'm like, I need some carts for my shop. Google, Google, Google. Oh, look, look who it is. <laughs> I'm going to be talking to him tomorrow. Like this is this is great. So I love how you bring it down to something consumable in that aspect. It doesn't have to be this massive home renovation. Um. So so as I may not be uh as in the in the generation that grew up on PBS with the television as much, there's still a massive appreciation for what you guys do. And what, how you make it consumable to all of us. And, and so um, I'm also a fan who, who just might be a slightly a bit younger than. Well, I mean, than, I, I appreciate that um, for what it's worth, John, I'm voting for the cart two D two option. Um, yes. On the name. <laughs> um, I, I will say as flattering as it is to hear that um, this sort of phenomenon of YouTube and social and the internet is challenging us both as a business, but also as content creators, you know, it's very, it's very easy to make a scene. We make a scene on ask this old house and put it up on a PBS program and then replay it on YouTube and you throw it up next to something like Jimmy Dress is doing or you guys are doing and you're just like, holy mackerel, um, <laughs> why are we even speaking? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, but that's good, right? I mean, that is sort of the creative destruction going on with social, the democratization of, of what's going on with social where there's not only a lot of other voices, but there is a sea change in sort of what's culturally acceptable, what the audiences want, and it has us rethinking constantly, you know, are we being quick enough? Are we being concise enough? Are we giving them just what they need? Maybe we need to produce something for PBS, but it needs to be slightly different for direct to digital. Um, and that is, in my opinion, a constant in the content creation world, right? You just have to follow the audience no matter where they go. And there's a lot of businesses that didn't want to follow them, wanted to hang out what they were good at. And uh, you can read about them in the sort of canceled television show list or something like that. And there's no guarantee that our past 40 years ensures another 10, 20, or 40. Um, we need to be on our toes making really, really good content that people consume. And now we know because of digital and the great voting machine that is the web, you know exactly how well or how poorly something does based on number of views. And there was a little bit of a smokescreen provided by PBS, network television, Nielsen ratings, you know, year-long cycles. Those days are pretty much gone and we're going to have to rise to the occasion if we're going to continue to earn the audience's respect and attention. Yeah, I love I I love how you make it more uh, of like something that's tangible now, right? Like you know, you're speaking with people that are used to have that barrier, that smoke screen, uh, because of the the distance that didn't exist when the internet was there. And now you can hop on Instagram and you know I comment on your renovation and I get a response back, and you feel like you're a part of it now. I mean, you're more bought into that project, and I think you guys are doing a great job of that. You're making these. Uh, larger than life type personalities that are seen on TV, much more attainable to the everyday person just because of that interaction. And I do think you guys are doing a great job. I remember uh, talking to you, I mean, a little over a year ago where we we set up that little uh, transaction for surprise Brad um, out, when I, and out when I was with him. And I mean, I was like, oh my God, Kevin just 
message me on Instagram. But I mean, like, so you're looking at those situations and a lot of people get those feelings. And I think that that's one of the fantastic aspects of the internet and what social media is bringing to the table. But it's also great to see people that have been around for a long time, specifically your show, uh, adapting and and realizing that you, you do need to be interacting and that there are real human beings watching televisions. It's not just you know playing on repeat in front of nobody. Um, so that, I think that you guys are doing a great job there, as well as adapting the content too. You know, it's not just you know how do you build a door jam and how do you you know trim uh, some some siding for your home anymore. It's it's you know what's let's take the new most revolutionizing materials and have the 30 plus year carpenter expert learn how to use them and then show how to use them too. When you can see how easily someone that's been doing it for a long time can get stuck in their ways. I love seeing the constant adaptation of whatever's hitting the market and whatever's newest coming into your guys's programming and your guys' content. It is uh it is a very privileged position to sort of be on the show that started it and be on PBS and have a literally it's just a absolutely gigantic distribution base into every household in the country. Um, you know, that being said, I am like, I sort of welcome with open arms, this democratization of the content creation. I think about, you know, you guys know, Jimmy, you know, Jimmy and I met a decade ago when we were both on a television show for, you know, the HGTV network, um, guests on this whole thing. And I always think about him because not only is he extremely talented, but you know he had to bounce his head against this wall of network television to get right. a little two-minute segment in this sort of cast of fools who were doing some silly thing that they decided to flip or reveal. And that was his outlet, his only outlet, you know. And now, thanks to what's going on with directed digital and the internet and all that kind of stuff, he's got himself a vehicle to get his stuff out there. And his stuff is terrific, as is the stuff of a million other people. Um, it, you know, somewhat knocks us off our perch in terms of being one of the only five or six out there for the entire country to watch. But that's four decades ago. Uh, the democratization of all of this amazing content and seeing people's takes on things is great. And there's just no way that, you know, Richard Trithui can have enough airtime to both try all the new technology in heating and cooling, but also to have an opinion on it, right? You need 5,000 people out there talking about that stuff, pushing the envelope. Um, and that's what ends up happening with the digital. And I think it's very clear that that's one of the reasons why it's so darn successful. And we're going to you know, have a little slice of that space and keep at it. And we'll only get to stay there if we put out quality content that the audience wants, but it in no way – I mean, I, I'm, I'm rooting for this, you know, this small d democratization of all the content. I think it's awesome. Yeah. I, I love that uh, also you guys have seen that too. So you guys have recently had Jimmy on. I think you actually haven't had him on a second episode, right? And uh, you know, having him on and building, that's, that's kind of like you know, not only just a nod to a great creator, but a nod to like, hey, talking about like you know, how this is – how – the new age of YouTube can work with the old age of the public television. And the fact that it's Jimmy is just even better, right? Because he's like the old grizzled guy with the, with the, this huge YouTube channel. It's he's not like, you know, Malecki. He's not like a millennial. He's like this old dude. He's got this massive YouTube Whoa. channel. I'm You're so offended by something job. I can't control, <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like, see, seeing that combination. I think that's really awesome. And I know that you guys, uh, because you, you also posted that, you know, posting that to YouTube and and I went through and commented, and I know a lot of other people did. And so many of the comments were like, "Yes, get more creators on there." Like we we love seeing this interaction between the two mediums of you know the new school and the old guard. And it's it's really cool thing to to watch that happen. Um, and I, I wanted to ask you too because I think this is something that's really uh, can be applicable to our audience and, and folks. And the fact that, you know, you are uh, a TV personality and that you have obviously a, a huge audience that you speak to weekly uh, on your own channel, but then you also have this YouTube channel, or excuse me, not YouTube channel, this Instagram account that is, you know, Kevin O'Connor, right? And you have your own personal brand and you do a lot of sharing, obviously, of, of this old house stuff, but you also do a lot of sharing of your own photography, right? I know you're a big photography buff and uh, it's cool seeing you share your own passion mixed in with that, like... How does that, you know, how do you see that as far as like, because you're in a kind of unique circumstance of, um, 
you know, it's not your, your business, but it's your job. And you share your job there as that TV personality, but you also share your own things. Cause I, I think a lot of uh, the content creators out there uh, and they're talking about their own business and then they're like, well, how do I interact? And like, you know, especially if they have a big business, like I, I don't, I don't, I feel like I only want to talk about the business, but I don't want to share any this other stuff. Like, you know, how have you seen that as you've grown into Instagram and using that and seeing how people want to interact with you on the platform? Well, I, I got to give you a little bit of a backstory as to why I'm in and what I do on the social. Um, you know, I jumped into social media initially, which was just Twitter and Facebook at the time. I jumped into it primarily to be a somewhat of a disruptor within our own company. You know, I was of the opinion that we were behind the curve on this thing called social media, the internet and all of that. And despite my pleas to do something about it, we were distracted and we did other things. So I said, okay, you know, I'll do it myself and we'll see how it goes. I admit, I don't use it personally for anything. You know, I don't actually have the secret Facebook page where I keep up with relatives or anything like that. Pretty much everything that I broadcast via social media, which now is the Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, I do it in promotion of our content. Um, it happens to be something I'm very passionate about and what I spend all of my time doing anyway. So I don't want to make it sound like it is completely mercantile. You know, it is sort of what I do and want to do every day. But my reason for being there initially was to rattle the cage of my organization <laughs> to say, we've got to do this because this is not only where the audience is going, but the interaction and that direct touch with them is nothing but beneficial. It's a feedback loop that helps you understand what people like and don't like. Uh, it humanizes people who are generally at arm's length because of the distance of a satellite signal and a television set. Um, and it's a great way to grow and connect to people who are coming up through a different uh, channel, if you will, medium, you know, as they consume this stuff. The, the Instagram – and so th that's sort of the backstory. That's what I was putting out on Twitter that's what I was putting out on Facebook. And they were accounts that I pushed to. I didn't do anything with the stuff that came back to me. Right. Um, I, I didn't I, I think I have a I think I have a fan page on Facebook, which doesn't even allow me to follow people or something like that. I still don't know all the specifics. Uh, but anyway, I had a friend, I had a person at the company set it up for me and say, just get get the thing working. Um, the Instagram came along a couple of years later where I started to have the desire to interact with people. And I didn't want to do it to the massive audience that was the, this old house tangent of the other ones. And so I just kind of quietly created Instagram and started following just the 20 people that I wanted to follow, which were basically just carpenters and woodworkers. Um, and what I learned, to even my surprise, was that I loved it. I mean, I just all of a sudden was making these connections with people met them, hung out with them, talked to them, the meetups, all the things you guys have talked about a million times. And I found it very enriching and very engaging. And now uh, most of my effort is driven towards that Instagram community and it gets redistributed through Facebook and Twitter. Um, it's been phenomenal for me professionally to make connections to be challenged by, I mean, we just did a, a roundtable discussion with the guys from the Modern Podcast, and we ended up doing this live event, and we had this big debate going back and forth. That's an intellectual exercise that's great for me. You know, it, it gives me their perspective, and I've got to defend my perspective. It makes you more articulate. You learn something, you share something. All of that happens because of this thing called social media, and particularly, I believe, because of the culture of the groups that we hang out with on Instagram. So I'm a big proponent of it. It blows my mind, just as an aside, that, you know, Tom Silva, you could sell tickets to hang out with Tom Silva, <laughs> right? People literally, people are just like, hey, yeah. can I, you know, send you a check for five grand to come and have a cup of coffee with Tommy Silva? Um, you know, it blows my mind. You, you hit him up on Twitter, because that's his medium, you know, at midnight and ask him about how to fix a, a door that swings incorrectly on the hinge. And Tommy's just responding. He's just banging out answers uh -huh. <laughs> in a hundred, what are they up to? 280 characters. And I'm like, gee, Tommy Silva is the most accessible man in the world. Now. <laughs> Not that he was ever inaccessible, but when you're on PBS on television, all the things you mentioned, you are somewhat inaccessible. And now people have got a direct line to him. Don't tell anybody because he's going to be overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah. questions that come when people hear this. But I, it's just, a, it's a cool thing. It, it's got its edges and its elbows, but in the in the sum total, it's way more positive than it is negative. And uh, I think it's the early stages, but it is certainly, you know, what the future is about. 
Yeah, and you can do it a bit. I mean, the nice thing about it is you, that you do have control of it, right? So it is on your terms, especially, you know, Instagram specifically. And I don't even remember, like, it, it's just, it's so cool to see, like, the people that you kind of hold up on these pedestals, like you said, because it's because they're over the satellite and you're on my TV, right? So there's just that that whole connotation of like, well, this is somebody on my TV. This isn't a normal person. But you're all we're all normal people, right? Same thing on YouTube. Yeah. Like, and people say that on a smaller scale about even, you know, John and I. And it's like, OK, like, well, you know, we're not TV stars, but they see us on YouTube and they and they think like, oh, like they're doing something different. Well, we're just standing in front of a camera or we're, you know, we're, we're being published, but it's that connotation. But then you send somebody a message or and I don't even remember when it was any anymore, Kevin, but uh, I just remember I, I think I even caught it in my feed and you know, catching anything in your notifications feed on Instagram, you know, it's kind of hard, but I, it was like, it was like, Kevin O'Connor started following you. I was like, what? I was like, what is this? What, what do you mean, Kevin? Like, and I was just like blown away. And I think I even DM'd you. And I was like, hey man, I like just like, I, I just DM'd you and, and gave you a little snippet about, man, like you've been a huge inspiration just through the, this old house and, and all the stuff we talked about before, but that it was kind of cool. And then you're just like, yeah, great, man. I love your stuff. And it was like, all of a sudden it just went from this like, uh, you know, you being on my TV to us, like basically texting and, and saying that. And, um, and it just like, it does it, it, uh, it just humanizes. I, lo- I love that the term, it humanizes that, that contact. And I love that on Instagram and I get, you know, that's something that I've stood behind for a long time, uh, is like, if I get a DM, if it's from the United States <laughs> or Canada, <laughs> Canada, Europe, uh, you know, if it's in my language, uh, and it, it's in pretty good English, uh, I'm going to respond to it. Because I think it just, it, it opens this thing. And I get that so many times that of like, oh, I can't believe you're responding. It's like, hey, you know, like, I, you know, there's nothing special about me and, and just time in the day, obviously. Uh, but then you got people you're like, like uh, Rich or, or Tommy that they're going out and responding to these people. I think that that just builds the, um, it just builds the community and it builds that aspect of like, these are all real people. And that the reason that most of us are doing this is because we want to help people, right? I mean, that's the whole object of of this old house and that's this old house. It's like, you guys are there to help educate us. And and we're trying to do that in a smaller part in our channels. And, and that's what everybody on social media is trying to do. And it's just, it, it's just really awesome. It just, I think, brings the whole community together. It, it gives back um, as much as you give to it, I believe. Um, I, you know, I just got, I just went back and forth with this young kid, Garrett Meredith, um, this morning, he reached out to me, I think on a DM, it's hard to keep track, but it was definitely through social, you know, and th- this is what he said. He said, you guys have, you guys have been a huge inspiration to us. We've got a, a shop teacher, a voc ed teacher who's been doing it for 40 years and he's unbelievable, Mr. Banks. Um, he plays your show in our classroom. You know, would you do a shout out? And thank him for 40 years of service at the Los Lomos um, high school system out in California. That kind of connection, it was impossible to make that kind of connection when you had to track down a PBS PR person who then had, you know, what, uh, you, you know the, the routine. And, you know, I'm like, yeah, Garrett, you know, tell me what the dude's name is and what do you want to do and, and let, let me know what he's about. And I was able to, in the studio, get Tommy Richard and I to send this guy a little video. You know, thanks for your service. You know, something that we believe in. Sounds like he's been doing right by these students for four decades. And I just fired it off to him last night. And he, you know, says, amazing. The fact that you got the crew in there, he's beyond words. It's a small thing for us to do that. And we're happy to do it. It just was very difficult to even get the request in front of us. Right. So that little bit of effort that we had to give, which is easy and light lifting, and the effect it can have, that these kids could do that for somebody who's been their mentor. And if it means a lot to them, well, then, you know, we get way more than we give. Uh, and that's like you just articulated, Brad, is, you know, been my approach to this. Um, you do kind of have to engage, right? So you do have to stay up later than you want and rub your thumbs when you're done tapping out 50 DMs. <laughs> but for the most part, you end up, if you, I think my approach is, and if you end up doing it right, you end up getting way more than it costs you. Um, so in that regards, I'm all in and I think it's good. And you just ignore the BS, you know, push it to the side, just like you do in your life every day and, and you end up being better off for it. So- that's kind of been my approach, and I didn't expect it to go the way it went. Um, I have no idea where it's going, but I'm with you. I'm I'm along for the ride. And I'm I'm going to do it. See, that's beautiful. Like uh, I think we said in our 
probably our first or our second show is to always assume positive intent. And, and it's something that is can be difficult to do on social because you can, there's a lot of people that, you know, are keyboard warriors or whatever you might want to call them that like to bring people down. But like you said, if you can just push through that kind of stuff and get to the, the greater scheme of what's happening, you'll find that there's a lot of amazing individuals out there. There's a beautiful communities to interact and engage with. And, um, and that's why we emphasize so hard on being active on social, on building community, on being engaged with that community and on not just necessarily trying to promote and sell something, but on, on the vice uh, on the other side of it is trying to create that, that relationship with an individual whom you can create a situation like you just spoke about and possibly do something to, you know, uh, touch their lives forever. And, uh, and that's the one beautiful part. I love that aspect. And I, and I learned that from sports, you know, you can stop and take a photo with someone when you're walking down to the field and you might be the only stealer to ever take a picture with them ever. But I was able, you know, for me, it was nothing. Right. But I get, I've had kids now that I walked through their, uh, high school or middle school or elementary school that have reached out to me on social and said, Hey man, you came to my middle school when I was, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I just want to thank you. You took a picture with me. Here it is. And I'm like, Whoa, like that wasn't even that long ago. That was like eight <laughs> years ago. Like, Oh my goodness, man. So those moments and situations, they're so easy to, for us to execute on, but in a situation that you say, you maybe you might be struggling and that you're wondering, you know, sh do I want to hop on social? I'm so busy. I have so much time. Uh, I think you you made some great points there that for anyone in any type of business is that if you can find the time to put into growing community, into building that kind of tribe uh, that we talk about on the show, it will pay off um, down the line and it will pay off tenfold uh, with those types of experiences as well as creating, you know, core uh, fans and, and customers or whatever you might be doing. Cause we have a lot of, uh, we have a lot of listeners who are in um, their own businesses whom, you know, if you're looking for a takeaway from what Kevin was just talking about is, is exactly that is, is that you could be on whatever stage and in any aspect of life to where uh, if you're building community and focusing on the right things, you can, you can make a difference in somebody else's life. And I think that's what we're trying to uh, promote here on made for profit. And, and it's beautiful to hear from someone like yourself. So a little takeaway there I just wanted to touch on quickly from from my perspective. The the one thing I would add to that well said thing, John, is that you also as a as a person who creates that content, who decides to engage, you you may not be aware of how and who you affect. Um, you may never understand or anticipate what that effect is gonna be. You know, I mean, I listened to your guys' podcast. Um you I I didn't want to learn this stuff, right? I didn't want to <laughs> slog through it and figure it out. And so when I stumbled upon the podcast that was talking about, you know, how to monetize it, how to make it a business, how to uh, approach it professionally, I've got access to a million craftspeople in my life. Mm. What I wanted was, you know, who's going to be doing the hard thinking about making this thing work more smoothly? Because I'm an efficiency guy, right? And so you guys... I'm looking to you to teach me about Social Blue Book and the various things that I need to be checking out and looking into. And I don't want to keep up on all the trends. I want you two to keep up on all the trends <laughs> and let me dive in so that I can do what I do best um, and you can make me a little bit better. And what the heck is wrong with that? You know, like, that's awesome what you say about learning your stuff from Norm and our brand and all that. But, you know, know that you got me sitting in the car at 530 in the morning listening to you guys um, taking the knowledge you drop and putting it into my wheelhouse as well um, which first you know thank you for that but most importantly for your audience you know you have to sort of keep that in the back of your head right that mm -hmm. what you've got to say if it's high quality content and it's thoughtful and it's educated um, there's someone out there who's going to benefit from it I, I think it's fantastic uh, to make that kind of point because I think a lot of uh, individuals become like perplexed by how things work. And and I think that a lot of uh, people that are trying to constantly improve, like you just said, like you, you're trying to learn, like you didn't necessarily want to, but now that you're in it, you're like, wow, this is fascinating. I want to become better. And for us to stand aside and go, well, he's on TV. He's definitely an expert at social media. We very easy to do right. And see someone like yourself go and put the time and effort in, I think is uh, I think it's amazing, and and I think it's vitally important in whatever you're doing. And I and I kind of wanted to use that to segue because 
I know on the show you guys emphasize uh, consistently improving and getting better and, and kind of um, quality in craftsmanship and especially in the trades. And that's something that I am you know, generally passionate about as well is not only getting better at what you're doing in the shop, but outside of it and kind of flipping that and diving in and uh, and getting into the conversation of, you know, the skilled trades and, and how important it is to constantly be improving and in and, and, uh, constantly trying to push yourself to that next level, even if you do feel like you're an expert, right? Um, you know, carving out a half hour in the morning while you're in the car to listen to a podcast or picking up a magazine or a book that's got a new material or a new, uh, you know, technique or something that's going into it. Um, touch a little bit on like, you know, how you feel that that's important to the development of anybody, not just specifically contractors or tradesmen, but like, I, I guess is developing in whatever you're doing in general, because it's obvious that you're doing it, even if you're subconsciously not aware, uh, by listening to our show. Change is ever present. And we could go down the list of a million of examples that would demonstrate that, you know, whether it's the 50 to 20 million people that used to watch this old house on PBS 40 years ago, who are now consuming it in a 10, 50, 100 fold uh, amount on YouTube. That's, you know, change. We could talk about it in the terms of the American home, um, you know, that was built from, um, you know, rough lumber, timber frame style, which is now built with um, engineered two by fours and zip sheathing. Um, you, you, you pick the spot and I would argue that the takeaway from whatever example you give me is, yep, there's another example of change is ever present. <clears throat> and in any profession, whether it's content creation, whether it's on the job site um, as a lead carpenter or as a general contractor who's running the business, that change um, is coming at you constantly. And if you don't embrace it, if you don't figure it out, you're likely to be at the very best diminished and at the worst sort of disappear. So we have an obligation as home builders. I say we, I'm talking about the other four guys who I work with as home builders. We have an obligation if we want to be educational and inspirational. We have an obligation to stay abreast of the current trades and to find the balance between showing what's new and what's great um, as well as you know what's tested and true. And that's a good intellectual pursuit. We like it. Uh, but it's also important that we do it because you can build a house today that's way more efficient, way more comfortable uh, than you could build a house 30 years ago and 130 years ago. So that's what we have to do. But the other thing that we're trying to do in addition to sort of that embracing the change and, and continually educate, learn ourselves and then share that information with the audience, the other thing we're trying to do is to change the perception. Uh, the initiative that we have, Generation Next, which is calling attention to the gap in the skilled trades and the things that can be done to encourage young people to get into it is important to us as well. Because you can make one of these young people um, as skilled a carpenter as is possible. But if the country needs a thousand of them and you've only got one, you still have a problem. So the numbers matter. And we're trying to do that through Generation Next. We're not trying to do it alone. Uh, and we're certainly not the first to the party. You know, Mike Rowe is from Dirty Jobs. And now Mike Rowe Works has probably been the most articulate on this subject. And so we've partnered with him. We're doing a whole bunch of other things. But the takeaway is there's a gap. Um, it's millions of jobs that are unfilled in the skilled trades. I mean, jobs that exist, that's the crazy thing. These aren't jobs that would be out there if we did some government program. These are jobs that exist at companies right. that are waiting for the people. You know, there's millions of them out there and there's a million more to come because the average age of the construction workers, 56, and they were retiring in larger numbers and we're backfilling those positions. Um, and so that's why I love doing the shout out to Garrett Meredith, um, who's thanking his shop teacher for being an inspiration, Mr. Banks, because that's just a little thing that we can do. It's important to do. It'll help solve a bunch of problems. Um, and if we ignore it or continue to ignore it, we're going to pay the price. We're going to have shoddier craftsmanship. We're going to have productivity constraints. We're going to have fewer homes and housing shortages. Um, we're going to have, you know, some positives that come from it as well. You know, technology and companies will figure things out, but it would be a bumpier road without those jobs filled. So we're doing whatever we can to sort of call attention to it. Uh, and hopefully, you know, kind of pay it forward a little bit with these guys that have done it for 40 years on television and even longer that professionally 
to inspire the next generation to come up and to respect this profession, to make it uh, something that can be lucrative and rewarding for all of them. Yeah, it, it is such a, it, it's so cool to see that um, come to the to the forefront and and kind of get into the limelight. And that's, you know, something like you said that Mike's been, been uh, Micro has been spearheading for a while now. But uh, because I think that it's been interesting. So from like a DIYer and just, you know, so right, I'm in my 40s now and seeing like there's this, there's been this resurgence in working with your hands as as just a hobbyist. As all these people have you know have gotten that you know my age, like you get into your into your thirties and forties, and you're like, man, I like I want to. I've been working in an office all the time, and I want to get out and work with my hands. I've definitely seen a resurgence because you know woodworking, like I mean, it was like almost dying, like in the eighties, nineties, like it was going down. Uh, I talked with a, an amazing craftsman woodworker, Alf Sharp, and he he kind of was living through that, and he's a great guy. I had a, a chance to do a little interview with him, but talking with him and seeing how he looked through that. And that now it's coming back on the other side of the hobbyist side, but now it, you're, you're almost starting to see that echo into, like you said, the actual trades, right? So people are like, I want to go make money. I want to, you know, I, I don't want to work with my hands. I don't want to be blue collar. I want to be white collar, whatever that is. But I think the interesting connection now is like, you start to see, um, that trades people, but then you also like all these people, like now there's this new profession called YouTuber, Right. It's like, ah, I want to go make YouTube videos. Right. It's like, OK, but now the the really interesting and cool thing is, is you get somebody like an Alex Steele who's 19 years old and it's a blacksmith with a massive YouTube channel. So he's a tradesperson with a YouTube channel. You're starting to see some of this interesting combination. Like you see somebody like like Kyle Sumpenhorse from our buildings. Right. Like he is a, a tradesperson with, but he's a YouTuber. So, you know, you get a lot of people like John and I who are just YouTubers. Like we're not tradespeople. We're not professionals that, you know, we're like, you don't want us building your house. <laughs> we can, we can build a coffee table for you. So some cool stuff, but you don't want us building your house. But now you're, you're starting to see this crossover, which I think again, is just making that even more accessible. And I think that's starting to help prop up that, that trades, uh, like you can combine technology and trades and that. You know, you could be like these guys who are getting into the trade, still doing work, but are doing it in the, you know, the 21st century of, of social media and all these things that um, you can share that story. And so it's not that you're just working on a job site with all these people that you're working and also sharing that with other people. I think that's that's kind of a cool thing that I think is is going to inspire people to get into the trades as well. Uh, and, and, you know, I hope that I hope that this whole movement of YouTube and social media only helps that effort. Because it is hard. It's a great avenue. It's a great sounding board to get it out because that's where those new people are, right? That's where the younger generation, they're, they're sitting on YouTube. They don't watch, they don't, you know, as much as you, you probably are trying to figure out how to do it, Kevin. And like, they don't watch PBS. They don't watch, they don't even have TVs. You know, they're, they're streaming. Everything's streaming. Everything is on the internet. So uh, it's gonna be really interesting to see how those can help prop up each other and how the you know newer wave of technology can hopefully help drive people into old trades, which is kind of an interesting uh, you know conversion there. I agree with a lot of what you said. Um, you know, I do believe that Kyle Stumpenhorse is going to be able to inspire uh, a lot of young people who see him as a craftsperson and get introduced to him through YouTube. I do believe that there is a resurgence in the sort of made by hand movement, the maker movement. Um, Beyond that, however, I don't think any of those things are going to solve the problem. Those no. are things that are helpful, the things that are fun to talk about. Um, but it is so much more complex than that because we're talking about what are the wages, what's the health care. Um, we're talking about how disaggregated is the industry. I mean, there are... I, this is not the time or place to do it, but you know there are some statistics that if you start to chew on them, start to blow your mind. You know the fact that of these six or eight hundred thousand construction companies, think about that. How many car companies are there? Right, yeah. count them on a hand. A handful. There are six to eight hundred thousand construction companies in this country. Um, you know, over half of them have one employee. Okay, eighty percent of them have fewer than twenty employees. Uh, you know that is a structural uh, obstruction to efficiency, to learning, to training. And if you're a young person coming out of high school or college, you are looking as a I would think a very thoughtful person. 
making a decision about your future, you are looking at that and you're saying, do I want to go into an organization that may be one, two, or five people that's not going to expose me to technology, to training, to advancement, to promotion that is on average underpaid compared to the medium income? Or do I want to go into, say, corporation that has got a recruitment office, a career track, an advancement profile, and all the little nitty-gritty things like income, 401k, and all of that. That's just one example. Those are the real things that are actually going to restrain this industry from growing up to where it needs to be for today's needs. And the the YouTuber and the handmade movement, all of that feels good and looks good. It's got benefits, but it is on the periphery by, by my estimation. It's a lot harder. You know, what most people do, despite the world that we live in and hang out in, the three of us and others like us, what most people do is get up in the morning and go to work, you know, shower before or shower after, either one, go to work, come home and struggle to, you know, buy the home and, and raise the family. That's what's consuming most people's time. So it's the deeper structural problems with this industry that need to be tackled. It's super complex. There's room for everything, including Kyle's inspiration um, that he brings to us, your guys' inspiration. But we need a lot more than that. We need a ton more than that to get this industry back to what we actually need. And it's gonna you know, include um, technology and lots of disruption. I, I've had this debate with other guys who I've podcasted with and you know, there's this myth and allure of the old craft and keep craft alive, right? Find mm-hmm. home building, right. started the hashtag. I love it. I follow it. I promote it. There's no turf war between us and them. I'm all for it. But at the same time, I also go into it with eyes wide open and say, that's great, but let's make sure that we embrace every new technology. Um, you know, the idea of a Home being made in a factory is appealing to me, and it's not here yet, but I believe it's coming. And more importantly, the idea of a wall. Forget about the home. Imagine if, I mean, there was a time when you went to the lumber yard and you bought one by eight planks and put them together for a sidewall, and then someone came up with plywood and OSB, and you said, geez, it's a lot faster and easier if I do it with a four by eight sheet. Well, what if you could go to the lumber yard and buy the entire wall with the exterior sheathing, the interior sheathing, the framing, the insulation, and um, you know an air gasket that gets you to a zero air changes per hour? What if you could buy it off of there? That's advancement. That may kill a couple on-site um, you know, jobs, but it's going to push this industry forward. And I believe pushing it forward and making it more technologically savvy, providing a better product with higher yields, I think that's going to actually recruit more people to this industry um, than keep craft alive. And I love Kyle, <laughs> but even more so than his beautiful drone shots of, uh, of post-frame construction. Yeah, I, I love that. Bring perspective to Maleki, it. Right? can you build me that soapbox so I can stand on that thing and <laughs> shout it to the, can you do something? You can, I got you, metal. dude. And it won't, right, be, you. won't be pocket hold. Metal, melon wood soapbox. Uh, <laughs> but I think that that's that is great perspective because you have a perspective that John and I don't have at all. Mm-hmm. Right? You, you have the macro picture, right? And we we do live in our little bubble. And uh, so it's nice for that to be popped sometimes. And and uh, be able to understand because it, and at the end of the day, you're right. I mean, like somebody coming out of high school is looking how to provide for themselves and then possibly a family. Right. And that's those are all the questions that we ask ourselves. And they want to do that in a way that's going to make them the most amount of money for the least amount of effort or whatever that is. Or, you know, it is nice to talk about like people. We would all love to enjoy our jobs, but that's just not reality for a lot of people that they're doing it for whatever their background and skill is. And the fact is that um, the, the skilled trades can be taught, right? And that's something like that, that pretty much anybody can pick up with the right training, but obviously that's, that's not out there. It's not being promoted. There's not enough knowledge and stuff. So uh, absolutely. And we will, we will absolutely uh, link down to all this. And, and I think it's a, a, just a great topic to have out there and to have somebody like, like yourself, that's got the perspective that we don't uh, I really do appreciate you bringing that to the forefront, because that is a huge problem that, um, you know, clearly we need to have us all for as a nation, because talking about all those things and all the repercussions of it um, are are huge and overarching. Uh, I, if, I like to I like to get people, sorry to interrupt, but I like to get people to think about farming if they, if they can for a little bit. You know, there was a time in this country's history when 50, 60, maybe even as high as 70% of the citizens of this country were farmers. You know, and today it's probably down around 1%. Um, do you lament 
the loss of that as a profession? Do you think that our interest in home gardening and locally grown and farm to table is an indication that somehow we're going to reverse the agribusiness trend that is? I would counter no. I think it's a good connection that people can make to the food they eat, but it's not going to produce the yields of food that are what we need, sort of feed the country, feed the world, the efficiencies and all those types of things. And I also would argue that I don't think anyone's going to sit there and say a good thing for the country is to have our 1% of the population who farms now grow to even 9-10%. If we can do it with 1% and we can do it well, then that is just what the future brought us and we need to embrace it. And so I am all for the craft. I'm all for the respect that it should be deserved. I'm all for eliminating and erasing the stigma that necessarily goes with vocational training versus college education. But I also don't want to put blinders on and think that in any respect, we need to go backwards. Should there be 600 to 800,000 construction companies that generally employ one to two people? Or are we better off with fewer companies with bigger work um, forces that focus as much on the craft as they do on training and advancement and salary and you know those types of things? That's probably part of the future too. So I, I throw the farming example out there as almost as a cautionary tale saying that, ah, you know, we can predict doom and gloom if we don't go back to the old ways of building houses. Or we could sit there and say, well, the future may look different, but it can be bright if we figure it out. Yeah, I think the improvements in technology is a fascinating conversation there. Because for younger and younger people, specifically, like, you know, I would say millennials or even younger, what is going to draw an individual to the trades, especially if you are um, emphasizing this look and feel that is gritty and old, right? That's a tool belt and a hammer, and uh, being in a ditch, you know, like that is not going to be something that is necessarily going to look great to a 16 year old that was trying to figure out their future. Um, but I think the improvements in technology in that cool factor and that uh, how much it actually has improved and where you can graduate from high school and go and work in the trades and not necessarily be uh, a, a laborer that's undervalued, that's not being paid um, you know, uh, uh, a job's worth of what you think it is and being someone who's pushing the industry, who's doing things with new technology. Um, it's something to be proud of. It's something to go and talk to your, your friends and family about. And that's something that you should be interested in. Um, you know, I, I weld a lot and I'm, uh, closely involved with Lincoln Electric, who pushes the skilled trades to that community as well. And they are constant. I mean, those big movers in the welding trades are constantly, pushing technology um, and making it more consumable and easier. When uh, you think about a pipeline welder five years ago, 10 years ago, 30 years ago, you know, it was extremely dangerous job <laughs> and it's super difficult and hard labor and it's not taking away from that at all, but it's a much different ball game now. And it's very well paid for that. And I think that, you know, showing that the nitty and gritty is, is not necessarily going to be the best sales pitch, but it, it does deter younger people. So if you can create a situation where you show how you know new and innovative and how much technology is advancing in the trades, that's where young people are going to become inspired. And I think that's kind of where that's where I try to push my content specifically. Yeah, it might be super micro, but if I can get one kid to go pick up a hammer and want to go grab some you know some festool and uh, get into doing high level skilled. Uh, craftsmanship and whatever they're doing, that's where I think you could take the jump from going to work for your uncle who's owned a contracting company for 40 years and just learning, uh, you know, with a hammer and you're still, you know, not using pneumatic tools or even uh, hand powered electric tools uh, because that's the way they did it back in the day. And and I don't I agree with you. It's not necessarily this uh, revert back to the stone ages, but it needs to be an emphasis on why the industry is moving forward for young people to get involved in it and not just specifically with, you know, the actual techniques going into it. Um, and I love that. And I think, you know, Brad and I took a tour of Lincoln's new welding school and literally stood there as grown men eyeing at how amazing the technology in their facility was. And that is technology that is going to eliminate jobs because it is almost automatic for some of these things, but there needs to be people to learn how to run the machines as well. And with the industry's improvements 
and I was able to do them faster, it's going to eliminate the crappy jobs that people are getting into now that give that negative connotation to uh, a lot of the a lot of the tradesmen and women out there. Um, and and I think that's what needs to be eliminated is those. The grunt jobs, you know, they're there for a reason, but they, by the improvements in technology, I think they can go away. I think farming relates really easily to uh, what I've seen with, you know, welders and such in, in that. And I, and I think that a lot of people are improving. Um, I love Kyle because he does things so fast and efficient and he's not afraid to try a new tool. Um, and uh, that's, you know, something that I'm drawn to his content as a person who will probably never build a pole building. Like, <laughs> but I still think it's fascinating to see all of the things that are going into it. And those cool factors, uh, I, I, I think, uh, can be what stimulates the younger individual to getting into it. So I love that these um, organizations are popping up like the ones you're involved with. Uh, there's there's some that I'm hoping to be able to bring into my content here in 2019, moving forward with some of the brands I work with because it is a massive, massive drought in in that community. And I'd love to see more younger people instead of going to college for no reason is, you know, getting into the trades and learning how to become a quality and skilled craftsman that can stick with you and have a stable job for life. Well said. And you know what I would add to that is think about what Lincoln Electric is doing. The sort of homeowner-friendly, um, beginner-friendly package that allows a young person to get into welding may be the elixir that has them stick around. And you know, as it just so happens, one of the largest gaps in the workforce, as well as one of the highest paid jobs, as you point out, John, is the professional welder. So if there's a young person who had absolutely no access or avenue towards welding that finds one because now for a low first cost, they can get a welding kit with a lot of automation built into it, dial up your temperature. I'm not a welder, so I'll misspeak on all the specifics, but you know, make it sort of plug and play simple. Then you've got an opportunity to bring more people into that profession. Now, they may not end up using that equipment five or 10 years down the line, and it may, in aggregate, kill off some of those jobs. But it may also be the thing that lures young people into it. Where did the computer geek, and I don't use that name pejoratively in the age of where the nerd rules, you know, where did the computer geek scratch their itch to build a house 20 years ago? They didn't. They were given this binary choice between working with my hands or going and working on that keyboard. Well, you know, how much do you love your CNC machine? What can you do with this type of thing? And so now the computer geek can become a builder. And they may not be swinging the stiletto and, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, humping sheetrock or plywood, but they may be really darn good at building a house. And we work with guys. Um, Ted Benson is one of them who basically wrote the book on timber framing in America and started this trade as an old school timber framer and still does it, but he also has a 100 square foot facility with the most advanced robotic machines from Germany building walls and employing timber framers. Oh, it's incredible. As well as the computer geeks. And so these things all have sort of unanticipated consequences. And your Lincoln Electric um, consumable, I think, is a really good example of that. You just never know how many kids from Mr. Banks' class Mm -hmm. are going to touch that thing and end up working on a pipeline down in Texas, making 160,000 bucks a year, thinking that they never had that as an opportunity. Yeah. And that's two years out of call out of high school. You know, so uh, I, I love that emphasis. I love that it's something that you're passionate about that easily comes through with how you speak about it. Um, you know, it's definitely a point of conversation in the community nowadays. And I think it, it's something that needs to be more of an emphasis um, as we, you know, try to drive forward and all of us try to rise the ship of, you know, tradesmen and craftsmen and makers in this community together. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure as we wrap up here, um, you know, talking about that. I know we could probably do this for another three hours specifically <laughs> on that topic as Brad and I are quite chatty. And, and it seems that when, uh, you know, you're a little bit passionate about something, it could possibly come through as well. But you know, as we're getting into the hour in the show, uh, we we love asking our guests for a, a tip or a piece of advice or or something to help them grow and get better. And uh, we were wondering, you know, what do you what do you have for our listeners as a listener of this show? Um, what piece of advice do you have? Well, it's completely unrelated to the construction trades. Um, you can pick up those pieces of advice if you sort of tune in because we're dipped 
uh, dishing out advice all the time. I, I will say this, given the fact, you know, made for profit, listened to by a, a highly engaged social community, um, and I do it at the risk of being somewhat hypocritical because I don't do it with myself. I will say this. Um, we have a we have a multimedia platform business. Um, we've been doing it for a very long time, and I've been swimming in the deep end of that pool. That, he, here's the takeaway. A photo is more powerful than words, and video is more powerful than a photo. If you're a content creator um, and you want to advance, you need to constantly be swimming upstream and embracing sort of the new. So if you're you know, writing something, make sure that you document it with a picture. If you're photographing something, you know, push yourself to document it with video. That's, that's my goal for 2019. Ironically, a guy who makes television but only posts pictures, <laughs> you know, my goal is to, is to post a video. And it's just a, a simpler way of saying, push yourself, find out exactly what people value, what they consume, and push yourself to deliver that to them because ultimately the audience rules. Be in touch with it, embrace it, you know, be joyful about it, um, and just stay at it and always be swimming upstream. Love it. That's fantastic. We, we love just getting these tips. So we, you know, we're under the guise of doing this for everybody else, but it's just John and I, like, we're like, get all these tidbits from all these great guests. We're like, yes, <laughs> since we don't, we don't listen to the podcast because we listen to it live, but we're like, all right, we get to do this. And then we get to share it with everybody else because uh, it's fantastic being able to have folks on like yourself, uh, Kevin, and uh, really an honor to have you on the show, buddy, and, and, and really appreciate. And, and so we kind of, uh, glazed over it earlier and just a personal honor thank you for the uh, autographed picture from norm which i know uh you were, you showed him some of my stuff on instagram and so like hey can you sign this picture for brad so i really do appreciate that it's hanging up in the shop now it took me a while to make a frame for it but i finally did and so that is a going to be a mainstay in the in the shop for a long time so i really appreciate that and we love having you on the show and uh, we will absolutely have links to all the things we talked about and to uh to generation next where you can uh, find out more about what Kevin is talking about and all the things that uh, they're trying to do to help out that skilled trades gap. So, Kevin, thank you for coming on the show, buddy. And uh, we look forward to the 40th episode or 40th season of This Old House. Gentlemen, it was my pleasure. Um, I appreciate it and keep doing what you do. Absolutely. Thanks, Thanks brother. Buddy. Man, that was fun. I'll tell you what, dude. Like, seriously, Kevin is probably one of the major reasons that I'm actually into woodworking just because watching him and watching the guys on the Ask This Old House and This Old House really got me the DIY bug. And then that led me into woodworking. That was that was really cool to hear his perspective and hear all the things that they're doing on the show and how they've transformed over the years. Yeah, dude, I absolutely love talking to a living legend like that. Uh, Kevin was, you know, all fired up. He had me fired up about the the skills gap and, and that entire topic is something uh, we're truly passionate about. I thought it was so awesome to hear his thoughts and get some true wisdom from someone who is so passionate about the trades. It was just like exploding out of him. It was awesome. I know. Yeah. If, if you do want to get more information about Kevin, as well as what they're trying to do with the trades gap, you can head over to madeforprofit.com forward slash episode 84. And we'll have links to that uh, and also obviously to Ask This Old House's YouTube channel and Kevin's personal Instagram. So you can go check those out. Yeah. And if you also want to jump in the conversation with some more knowledge based individuals in our Facebook group, you can head on over to Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash made for profit tribe. Jump on in there. Grab yourself some knowledge. Absolutely. Well, right now we're going to go drop some knowledge in the after show and answer some questions. So why don't we go knock that out? <laughs> See you later, guys.